I want to introduce a friend of mine. We're in the middle of a series called Friends and Family. I've had uh, three guys that I've asked to come in and speak specifically to our church on three different subjects that I believe is going to help us in our faith in Jesus, help us as a church grow together. And man, I, I just enjoyed, and I thank you guys for the opportunity for me to get poured into over the last couple of weeks here at Hamilton Hills. Uh, besides this part, I didn't really have another part in the service. I showed up, I was running around thinking I needed to do things and I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I, I just ran around and it was fun, but I, man, it was crazy. Uh, friend of mine, Scott, is here from Hot Springs, Arkansas, Gospel Light Church in Hot Springs. Don't get that confused. The last guy that was here, Chad, was Gospel Light Church in uh, Anderson, South Carolina. Two totally different churches, uh, but another Gospel Light Church. And so the next guy, we don't know him, but we had to find another Gospel Light Church for next week. Um, But he's coming. We'll see how how he works out. Um, Scott and his family, dear friends of ours, we've known each other for, I'm going to say, Scott, 15 years now, 15 years, maybe even a little more, and uh, missionaries to Thailand for about five years, and then came back to the States, and we have grown in our uh, relationship and our friendship. Uh, What I love about Scott is his passion for knowing truth, but also applying truth to reaching people for Jesus. And so I'm excited. Would you give Scott a Hamilton Hills welcome as he comes up and speaks? Oh my gosh, guys, I'm so pumped to be here. Matt and Denise are two of me and Christy's closest friends. Um, We, you know, we did go to school together, but we didn't really know each other that well. When Christy and I decided to go to Thailand, as missionaries, we raised some funds for that. And we were on the East Coast and we stayed with you guys for like two months. Um, and we went deep sea fishing. I remember that. Uh, had We had, okay, we were poor back then, so keep that in mind. Uh, we had chicken quesadillas per our lovely Denise, probably like seven times a week. It was, it was, it was incredible. That's all, that's all we could afford. That's all we could afford. And they were amazing. It was so good. Um, I, if I had time, I would share with you all the story from Cracker Barrel. Um, actually, I'm kind of starting the sermon off on a rough note. Do not bring up Cracker Barrel to Denise. Sore subject. Change the subject. Don't talk about it. Uh, but if you do, do it. Okay. All right. Cracker Barrel. That was a rough one. No, just joking. Guys, it, it really is uh, my honor to be here with you guys um, Matt and I are, are friends, but really our passion and what has brought us together as friends is a shared vision of what this country needs. Um, we both, if you were to hear our stories, have, heard, have had religious experiences and grew up in church. And I'll just, I'll put it shortly and succinctly for you. I think that many people in our culture who reject Jesus don't know who they're rejecting. I believe that with all my heart. And I want to flip the coin over and say, and this is a scary thing to say, but I think many people in our culture who accept Jesus don't know who they're accepting. And my passion is for people to know the Jesus that I have discovered and to know what this book is. Uh, For most of my life, 
I couldn't understand this thing. And now I'm just, a, I'm a Bible nerd, okay? So how many of you this morning, you wouldn't mind just geeking out with me? Is that okay? Is that okay? Dude, let's geek out. It's going to be fun. I'm so pumped up about what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. And I, I honestly, I think our culture needs this. You know, your church is really into this oikos thing. This, this little group of people around each of you that I'm, I'm not going to be able to influence. Maybe they won't even be able to influence, but that you can influence and I'm convinced that there are people in your oikos who will never follow Jesus because there's hurdles in the way. There's something that's stopping them from following Jesus. And I want to challenge you guys this morning that you're going to be the one to knock down the hurdles. I mean that with all my heart. And you don't have to be some seminary professor to do it. Uh, you, you've, got to, you've got to start by addressing this topic of doubt. I think it's a topic that we've gotten wildly wrong in our American culture, this idea of faith and doubt. You will never move forward with Jesus until your doubts have been dealt with. You'll never do it. You know, think about a relationship between a husband and wife. Imagine that at some point this weekend, I heard something about my wife, and true or not true, I, it led me to have some doubt in our relationship. Certainly anyone who's been married, you've been there at some point. How well do you think our relationship would go on if I didn't address the doubt? Not too well. And I would, I would actually argue that it would not be until I dealt with the doubt that we could go on in the relationship. And the, the crazy thing is that often in our American culture, we have forbidden doubt when it comes to religion and God. Unfortunately, many have never been given permission to have doubt. Doubt has become like enemy number one for Christians. And uh, if, if someone has a doubt, it's like the virus. We got to avoid it like the plague. We got to get away from it. We have to be certain. We have to know. When I was a kid, there was this statement that everyone used to run around asking each other. Are you 100% sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven? And it sounds like really cool. Like, are you 100% sure of that? But let me cue you in on something. If you're 100% sure of anything, you don't need faith. But our American Christian culture has told us that we've got to be certain. And I'll just be transparent with you this morning. I know you don't know me, but let me just be frank with you. I'm a dad of four kids. And when my kids have questions, a lot of times I don't want to address the questions because it's something very controversial that I don't want to talk about. And I, this sermon that I'm preaching to you today, I've, I'm living this out with my kids. Doubt that creeps up in my kids' mind. Like I catch myself as a parent, like, oh, they can't hear that. Plug your ears. Like, I don't want them to have doubt. Like I want them to believe Jesus. 
And we can be so protective and so passionate about those we love following Jesus that we just want to get doubt out of the way. And if, if, if they have a question, but dad, what about this? Like, oh, we, just, we just believe that because we believe it. Oh, and then, and then Christians do this all the time. Let, let, let's be honest. Like some of you have probably done it, right? It's like, here's a, a conversation I'm getting in and uh, I'm kind of losing the argument or I really haven't studied this out. Where is that? Hold up. Faith. It's like, pull it out of my pocket. It's like, yeah, but dude, that doesn't really make sense what you're saying. I, I just believe it by faith. Well, could you explain yourself? I just, just believe it by faith. But that's illogical. I just believe it by faith. This is where we are in an American culture where we just use the trump card as faith and we pull it out of our pocket whenever we need to and we don't actually have to explain ourselves. I want to submit to you this morning that many in our culture have a skewed view of faith in which certainty is demanded, doubt is shunned, and ironically, explanations are scarce. And we wonder why the young generation is running away from God. When the whole time what we should have been doing is calling our young people to come and ask questions. Ask the hard questions. Maybe, maybe we got it wrong. Like, like maybe what we believe isn't true. Like don't we want the truth? Like let's pursue the truth. And let's allow the hard questions. And yeah, let's be willing to admit, I don't know the answer to that. When certainty becomes the goal, anything that gets in the way of certainty is pushed aside. But I want to submit to you through the scriptures this morning that that's not the way Jesus and his apostles dealt with doubt. Now our subject this morning is going to be the Apostle Matthew. And you guys know Matthew, first book in the New Testament, right? Matthew was one of the apostles. He was one of the followers of Jesus. And Matthew wrote his gospel to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, little note in the sermon here. You guys all practice good Bible study. And you know that when you're studying a book of the Bible, you need to know who's the author and who's the audience. And what do we know of the culture? And uh, what was the purpose of the book, right? Good biblical practices, but there's a little bit of a trick when we come to the four gospels, because the four gospels actually have two contexts, two settings. Not only do you have Jesus and his followers, but each of the four gospels was actually written by a person and he actually wrote it to other people. Matthew was writing this gospel to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And if you're out there right now and you have a question that just popped up in your brain, then let's answer it. I don't want to avoid your questions. Um, Professor Scott, uh, why did he have to prove that Jesus was the Messiah? Because uh, didn't Jesus rise from the grave? Like if Jesus really rose from the grave and over 500 people saw it, why are people confused if Jesus is the Messiah? Like he rose from the grave. Like we... We believe it. Like, he was there. Go ask him. He, he saw Jesus. Like, he like, saw the hands. Why are people doubting that Jesus is the Messiah after the resurrection? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, I'd like to, before I get into my sermon and preach, 
I'd like to leave the auditorium and step into the classroom and just touch on two quick things before we get to the sermon. And these two things are little keys that actually will help unlock the New Testament to make sense of it. How many of you are ready? You didn't really seem enthusiastic. How many of you are ready? All right, let's go. All right, this is a little nerd alert, so give me two minutes. Number one, number one. Jesus was not the Messiah they expected because they expected a Messiah who was gonna be like Moses that delivered them from the land they were enslaved to and the the empire that was enslaving them. Just like Moses led God's people out of Egypt, the Messiah, whenever the Messiah comes, is gonna lead us out of slavery too. Who were they enslaved to in Jesus' day? The Roman Empire. So whenever the Messiah comes, He's going to rescue us and pull us out of the Roman Empire. He's going to rule, right? We we know this. We studied studied 1 Samuel. We know God's promise to David. Um, He's going to rule, and he's going to certainly overthrow the Roman Empire. But what's going on? Jesus has risen from the grave, and they're still slaves. They're still bowing down to Caesar. How could Jesus be the Messiah if if we're still slaves to Rome? Okay, that was number one. Number two, if we go into the Hebrew Bible and actually start to read it, what they believed is that the Messiah would come at the end of the age and would deal with evil and with death. He would come at the end of the age. They never could have predicted that the Messiah would come in the middle of history and would grab the age to come and bring it to the present so that two ages now overlap. Now, I told you I was gonna get a little, get a little geeky, but if, if you can start to understand what I'm teaching you, my gosh, this is gonna make so much more sense. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth and he's launching new creation So that upon the resurrection of Jesus, the age to come is here and it's present and you and I can experience eternal life now. They never expected that. They thought the Messiah was gonna come at the end of the age, but the Messiah came in the middle of history. Those two things are gonna help us as we read the book of Matthew. And do you know where Matthew starts when he starts his gospel? He starts it off with a bang. Go read Matthew chapter one. He starts it off by trying to prove that Jesus was from the line of Abraham. Therefore, he fulfilled God's promise to Abraham. Not only that, he was from the royal line of David. So he can be the the Messiah who rules the dynasty from the line of David. And then he gets to the really good part at the end of Matthew chapter one, where he tells about the angel that comes to Mary. And the angel comes to Mary and says, "Uh, you're gonna have a baby and you're gonna name him Yeshua. Ah, Yeshua, everybody knew what that was. That was the dude who came after Moses, who brought the people from the wilderness and brought them into the land of promise. Yeshua, Yah, Shua, Yah, Yahweh, Shua, rescues, delivers, saves, Yahweh delivers. This is the new Yeshua who's gonna rescue God's people and bring them into the land. And the angel tells Mary, you're gonna name him Yeshua because he's gonna rescue you from the Roman Empire. 
it says he's going to rescue his people from their sins. Matthew starts off with a bang in showing you Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah you thought he was. Jesus actually came to deal with the real problem and the real enemy. You see, God's people had been rescued from Egypt with all their gods, but unfortunately, they brought with them into the land the real enemy. And you know what the real enemy was? It was sin in their hearts. If we can unlock those two little locks, the New Testament starts to make better sense. All right, now let's get to the sermon. If you were me and I was you, and we were going to try to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, don't you think we would avoid bringing up like people who struggled to believe it? Uh, what about the cousin of Jesus? Uh, the, the, the guy who boldly had a vision because he was a prophet, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Um, Matthew, real quick, before you keep writing that, you know, John the Baptist was the dude who, like, he was in prison, and he was really, like, struggling to believe Jesus was the Messiah, and then they cut his head off and delivered it to, like, you probably don't want to put that in Matthew. Oh, Matthew does. He puts it in there. He says, this is the one who was the greatest man born of women, and he doubted. And that's where all of you and me exhale. And we say, I'm not alone. Um, Hamilton Hills, if John the Baptist doubted, you're going to doubt too. The real question is not whether you're going to doubt it's what you're going to do with your doubt. That is the question, and that is what I want to talk about this morning. Now, I bring to you Matthew chapter 11. What an incredible passage, and I told our first service that Matthew 11 is one of those that you could honestly do a sermon series on, and you could, you could probably take three months just on Matthew 11. So I'm not going to be able to hit everything. But what I want to do for us this morning in our short time is I want to highlight three things in this chapter. All right, if you're ready, let's jump into it. Verse number one, and Jesus, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage. I'm in Mark. That is why you use a bookmarker. Right there. Love it. I, I had a moment there like where I was reading it and I was like, gosh, I don't remember this. I was like, hopefully this starts to make sense real quickly and it wasn't. All right. What do you guys say we do Matthew 11? Is that okay? All right. Here we go. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, uh, 12 disciples, ooh, that's important. 12 tribes, 12 disciples, new Israel. Okay, that's another sermon. He went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, if you have a New Living Translation, it says, who was in prison? Um, highlight that. That is critically important to this chapter. All I want you to do right now is just jot down in your brain that John was in prison. Where was John? You got to know that and you can't forget it. Let's keep reading. John the Baptist who was in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. Okay, let's pause there. 
Now, Messiah is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is Meshiach, okay? And I only tell you that to impress you. Are you <laughs> impressed? Okay. Um, it's like these kids that graduate from seminary and they like pull out their Greek and Hebrew, uh, whatever. All right. Uh, this is a really important word, actually. Uh, Meshiach in the Hebrew actually means the smeared one. Um, and who would they smear? Well, they would smear the anointed one, which was a prophet, a priest, or a king. Those are the three people that got smeared. So there was actually a lot of Meshiachs. What John the Baptist wants to know is, are you the Meshiach? Because in, in, in Judaism, in, in the Hebrew Bible, there was a lot of Messiahs, but there was one Messiah that was going to come at the end of the age, like I mentioned earlier, and he was going to rescue God's people and rule and he shall ruin forever. Okay, keep going. We got the point. Verse number four. Jesus told them, oh, I didn't finish verse three. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for another Messiah? Is the, is, is the Messiah still coming or is it you, Jesus? Jesus told them. Go back to John. Tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. Isaiah 34, here it is. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, and here's our next really critical point. John the Baptist, don't be offended by me. Don't be offended. Is Jesus saying that John the Baptist was offended? Matthew sought to create a culture which promoted transparency and questioning. And how Matthew is going to do that is by bringing up the most controversial thing in his day, which is that the cousin of Jesus doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. And through Matthew chapter 11 in 2022, you and me are going to have our doubt addressed. Let's do this together. The first thing I want to highlight is that John the Baptist was in prison. Now, this is a whole nother story. And if you like history, I want to encourage you to just go Google why was John the Baptist in prison and find some article and read up on it. Uh, John the Baptist was in prison because he had cried out against the king of Israel's, uh, the king of Israel, Herod, for marrying the ex-wife of his brother. Uh, here's the point. And it was super political, by the way. Uh, Herod himself was not in the line from David, but he was the king because Rome put him there as a puppet king. And he wanted to be in the line of David, so he's going to marry into it so that their children are now part of the line. That's what's going on. John the Baptist cries out against the king of the Jews and says, you can't marry her. And King Herod says, all right, let's put John the Baptist in prison. John the Baptist is now in prison, and uh, <laughs> there's really good news for John the Baptist, though. Like, prison sucks, but not when your cousin is the Messiah. <laughs> uh, that's where the good thing is. And Jesus, of course, is roaming all around Galilee, healing the sick, raising the dead. And John the Baptist is just like, all right, Jesus, like, come on now. Like, I know those people need to be raised from the dead, but I'm in prison. Like, hurry up, Jesus. When is Jesus going to rescue John the Baptist from prison 
overturn the, the, the king kingdom, take the throne from Herod and exalt himself as the king of the Jews. This is what's going on in the mind of John the Baptist and it's not happening. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist, he's getting frustrated. So let's remember that John the Baptist is in prison, but let me real quickly just point something out to all of us. A lot of times our doubt comes much more from our emotions than it does an intellectual deficit. Like you got neighbors out there and they don't believe, they're living in unbelief, they, they don't believe it, not how could it be? And like I find myself like, oh, I've got a place for you and C.S. Lewis says this and... Sometimes I just need a hug. Sometimes the, the doubt is coming because they have gone through so much pain and they're in prison and they're thinking to themselves, he's my cousin, I know he's the Messiah, but how could he be if I'm in prison? How could God be a good God and this happened to me? So we highlight this part about John being in prison. And number two, I want us to highlight, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for another Messiah? John the Baptist, come on, dude. You said he's the Lamb of God. Like, of course you know he's the Messiah. What's going on? Could it be that John the Baptist was more worried about himself getting out of prison than he was Jesus' mission? Now, you and me actually know the end of the story. Uh, we know that John the Baptist desperately needed to be beheaded. Because uh, if John the Baptist had come out of prison and gone around telling everybody Jesus is the Messiah, uh, Jesus would have been thrown in prison and wouldn't have had the opportunity to die for the sins of the world. John doesn't know that. John's in prison and he's thinking about himself and his pain. He's not thinking about the mission of God. He's not, he, it says right here at the start of the passage, it says John the Baptist who was in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. He's hearing all the reports. His mind should be going to Isaiah 34 and 35 where the, 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 the blind are seeing, the lame. He should see that, but he doesn't. He only sees himself in his own pain. Which leads me to the third thing that I want to highlight. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now, this word, depending on your translation, it might say, God blesses those who are not offended by me. The, this, the, the Greek word here uh, is actually scandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal from. And it means to trip up. Uh, we actually see this word 14 times in the Gospel of Matthew. This word scandalizo is when someone would trip. And so Jesus is warning John the Baptist, don't trip up because of me. Don't become offended because of me. John the Baptist is at a fork in the road and the fork in the road is called doubt. And if he doesn't deal with the doubt, what's coming next is offense. And after that is unbelief.
real quickly, let's jump in and look at Jesus' responses. First of all, Jesus affirms him. I'm not going to go through 7 to 19, but it's amazing. There's so much good stuff there. Go get N.T. Wright's commentary, uh, Matthew for everyone. It's just amazing. Jesus affirms John. He says, John, I know you're in prison, but John, you're the, you're the forerunner. You're the one who's coming and setting the way for me. But notice what Jesus doesn't tell him. Hey, you're going to get out of prison. Everything's going to be okay. Everything happens for a reason. It's going to be okay, John. Just hang in there, bud. You'll be getting out soon. No, John had his head cut off and delivered on a platter to the king king's daughter uh, then his mother Jesus number two revealed to John that the mission of God in the Messiah was there already this is what Matthew says in verse 13 or 14 where he says the kingdom of heaven came rushing onto the scene God was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth so that what would be true in heaven would be true on earth through Jesus and later through the church. Whew, is that a good sermon? Number three, Jesus warned John against becoming scandalizo, tripped up, offended. I've tried to take this whole thought and put it in one sentence. So look at the screen with me. Dysphoria led to confusion which led to doubt, which if not expressed, processed, and met with truth, could have led to offense and then unbelief. It's not two pages later in Matthew's gospel that Jesus goes back to his hometown and all of the people that grew up with Jesus scandalized upon Jesus. They tripped up. They were offended by Jesus. He's the carpenter's son. And do you know what Matthew tells us on the next line? Jesus couldn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You might be here this morning and you've got some doubt. Welcome to the club. Now's the fork in the road. What are you going to do with that doubt? Because listen carefully, if you don't deal with that doubt, the next thing is offense, and the thing after that is unbelief. Hamilton Hills, I want to close with three words of admonition to you. Number one, create a culture in your church and home where questions are welcomed and where uncertainty is okay. If I was certain, I would not need faith. Welcome questions. Invite them. Look for them. Get into conversations with your kids. And when they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, say, gosh, I haven't thought of that. Let me go see if Pastor Matt has an answer for me. <laughs> and then Matt will Marco Polo me and I'll tell him the answer. Number two, number two, commit yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus despite your uncertainty. <sighs> Jesus gave all of himself to you. 
you can give all of yourself to Jesus. Despite the uncertainty. No one's asking for you to check your brain out at the door when you come to study Christianity. I feel like in America today we have two extremes. Like we got over here, it's like this faith card. I can't explain this at all. Just believe it by faith. And then over here, it's like we just like we just want to just like explain everything. Oh, I just have a, I have an answer for everything. I can tell you exactly how it is. And I mean, some people have done a really good job at it. Like I go look at C.S. Lewis. Like he went up head to head with the best of the agnostics, and I think he wins. Here's the point. The point is. You don't have to have everything figured out. While you're figuring it out, trust in a God that you can't control. And for me, that really is hard. I'm a controlling person. Ask my kids. It's like, do this, do that. I love to be in control. And that doesn't work with God. That's why faith is required. Because with God... You don't know the end from the beginning. You don't know what's going on. And God invites you into a relationship with him. One in which he gave everything for you. But one in which he asks you to trust him about the things you don't understand. That doesn't mean you accept something that's illogical. That means that you're not God. It means that you don't know everything. It means that you don't know why she got hurt. You don't know why God let that happen to him. You can't see the whole picture, but you know that God loves you when you look at the cross. When you see the crucified Jesus, you know of God's love. And because of the cross, you can trust him. You can move forward in a relationship in a God with a God that you can't control. Thank you. Oh, look at this quote from Greg Boyd. Biblical faith is not about trying to attain certainty. It's about committing to a course of action in the face of uncertainty. Uh, This is a little bit of a heavy quote. So come back later. They'll post it on social media and just chew on this thought. This This is a profound thought. Last, my last word of admonition to you. Affirm others in the midst of their affliction. Now, if you don't hear anything I say this this morning, I want you to hear this statement. You are far more influenced by other people than you think you are. I just, I don't care what people think of me. Eh, You probably care the most. You are far more influenced by other people than you think you are. And are you ready for this oikos idea? Let's flip the coin over. You influence other people far more than you think you do. There are people that live on your street who work with you, who work out with you, and they have unbelief in the Messiah. And it's not because they don't understand. It's because they're hurting. You are never more like Jesus than when you grieve with people who are in pain. Oh my gosh, my coworker, they believe this and that, and I sent them a YouTube video and they just won't watch it. Man, buy them a box of cookies and give them a big hug. 
Because when you're in prison, it's really hard to believe that God is good. Hamilton Hills, you're the people of God. You're the people that God is going to use to represent him so that other people will come into the family. And if you want to look like Jesus, go give someone a hug and tell them you love them. That's what people need when they're in prison. All right, what's the black box all about? So, you guys know I'm a teacher. And I realized really early in my teaching career that my students were telling me what I wanted to hear. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Uh, Here's the good little girls and boys grew up in Sunday school. They have like the whole Bible memorized. And uh, I'm becoming a little suspicious through conversations that they really are, are Christians. Just like some of the conversations I'm having with some of my students. So uh, in my class, I just be like, all right, does anybody have a question? Someone share with me your unbelief. Like, what, what, what's your, what are you struggling with right now? Nothing. Come on, be courageous, be bold. Tell me what you, what are you struggling with? What do you doubt? Nothing, Mr. Scott, we, we love Jesus. Oh, okay, maybe they believe Jesus. Man, I just, ugh, it didn't satisfy me. So I went out and I bought a big black box that has a lock on it. And I've got papers in the front of it. And I gave a paper to every one of the students in all my classes. And I said, I want you to put a question on here, but you're not allowed to put your name. And you're going to put it in the box, and I'm going to answer the questions. So, I mean, we had dozens of questions. They write the question down, fold it in half put it in the box. I take the box back to my office and I open it up and I start to open and read the ants, the questions. I don't know who wrote it because there's no name, but this person is an agnostic. And this student is all out this or that. This person doesn't believe God exists because they were abused as a child. Oh my gosh. Here I am in the Bible belt and I've got all these kids with so much doubt. And in many cases, it's just all out unbelief. I'm just a normal dude, guys. I really am. But I began to go one by one through these questions in my class. And I literally watched 18 year old girls cry in the middle of my class as I answered their question. It's okay, guys. Man, Denise, Scott and Christy, like, I, I, I struggle sometimes. Like, God, like, what's going on? Where are you, God? And a lot of times I get to the end of the psalm, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're good. I want to ask you a question before I sit down. If I was to give each one of you a card... 
and you were to write something down and put it in the box, what would it be? If you don't take care of that, you will become offended and you will unbelieve. You gotta deal with the doubt and you gotta deal with it now. Like you've gotta take that thing that you're struggling with. Uh, well, Pastor Scott, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like that's one of those things in my life I've just blocked it out. It's just, ugh, that, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. You can't move forward with Jesus until you deal with the doubt. Man, I look across the landscape of Christianity, like where's the faith? My goodness. You gotta deal with the pain and you gotta deal with the doubt. And you are at a church, not full of perfect people, but a church that's inviting you to bring your doubts. What do you say? Like, can you do it? Can you sit down with Denise? Can you sit down with Matt? Can you sit down with one of the staff here and say, all right, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't agree with you on abortion. I don't agree with Pastor Matt on homosexuality. Isn't that what we just did, the elephants in the room? And you're going to talk about it. And we're going to open the word and we're going to submit ourselves to God. But what we're not going to do is just say, well, who knows? I'll just believe it by faith. No, 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 no. Deal with the doubt, Hamilton Hills. Would you all pray with me? Almighty Father, thank you for Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, how would we know that you love us? Not only have you created the world and everything in it, not only have you given us life, but when all of humanity turned their back on you and worshiped other gods, you chased after us in love to redeem us and rescue us by your grace. But God, time and time again, we feel like the psalmist in chapter 22. Where are you, God? Oh, and then I get jealous and I get offended because I look at Pastor Matt and man, God, look at how faithful he is. And he's so full of faith and excited. And him and Denise have the perfect marriage and they've never sinned and they're perfect. And oh man, I've got all these doubts. I better not tell them that I've got these doubts. God, I think that way. I do too, God. I, did. I struggle with that. God, help me. God, help us. Help us to talk about our, our doubts and help us to move on in a relationship with you through uncertainty.
in Jesus' name.